I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we want to read in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Please pray with me once again. Our Father, we pray that you would come now and that you would speak to us by your word. We believe these words to be inspired by the very Spirit of God. We know that all scripture is profitable, it is good, uh, that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, as your word says. So come and impress these truths on all of our hearts to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name, amen. Well, I introduced uh, this text as part of our regular exposition of Ephesians chapter 5, Uh, A few weeks ago, we've had a couple interruptions uh, since then, Uh, but on March 18th, introduced the text, and I said then that we would spend three weeks in these verses each time asking a different question of the text, and so on March 18th, we asked the question, uh, what does Ephesians 5 teach us about the distinctive role of wives within marriage? What does it teach us about the distinctive role of wives within marriage? And in that sermon, I sought to make the very plain and simple point from the text that the distinctive role of wives, that is that that, that function within marriage that is unique to the wife, the distinctive role of wives within marriage is found in their submission to their husbands. I've spent a great deal of time trying to clarify the meaning of this word, submit, and I observe that submission is not to be understood as some form of coerced subjugation or servile obsequiousness. Uh, But instead, I offered up the very helpful and, I think, biblical definition uh, proposed by Dr. John Piper, who says this, quote, submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. It is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Now, wives are not to be compelled into submission by their husbands, 
but are rather to view this matter as Christ's calling upon their lives. They're not to be coerced into submission, but rather as uh, children of God and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They look to his word and they find there the will of Christ expressed in this text and voluntarily assent in obedience to Christ that I'm going to God helping me submit to my husband. I also sought to argue that the notion that men and women are different, we believe that, the Bible teaches that, that's demonstrably true even uh, if only biologically, but also in terms of roles and gifts and calling. Uh, I sought to argue that the notion that men and women are different and in various spheres may occupy different roles, for example, marriage, is no indication of a difference of value before God. I argued that sameness and equality are not the same things. Uh, men and women are different and nonetheless equal and possess the same worth before God and before the world. I also sought to argue that wives must understand that their calling to submit to their husbands is part of a dramatic depiction of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the relationship that exists between Christ and his bride, the church. Paul doesn't just simply throw out there this admonition, wives submit to your husbands. He provides all sorts of motivation and model and resources behind that statement. So you're part of, wives, this dramatic, spectacular depiction of Christ and his church and Christ loving the church, laying down his life and the church responding to that initiative in glad-hearted submission to Christ. There's a wonderful, dramatic portrayal of the gospel within marriage. So that's what we talked about last time. It seems like a long time ago on March 18th. Now we return to our exposition of the book of Ephesians and we want to ask a second question of this text in Ephesians 5, through 33. The question we're asking this morning, uh, not surprisingly, is what does this text teach us about the distinctive role of husbands within marriage? What's distinctive, what's unique about the calling God gives to husbands within marriage? And then next week, God willing, uh, we'll ask a third question, a final question of this text. What does this text teach us about the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church? Uh, But today we're asking, is there anything distinctive about the role of husbands within marriage? And I'm gonna argue from this text Though this is not the only text on marriage, it's not exhaustive on the topic of marriage, but I'm gonna argue that from this text, we're presented with two distinctives that arise out of this passage uh, that qualify and characterize the nature of the role of men within marriage. So there's two distinctives I want to present this morning from this text. First of all, husbands are called to exercise and model Christ-like headship in the home. Husbands are called in this text to exercise and model Christ-like headship in the home. And then secondly, husbands are specially called to love their wives. See some of you are taking notes. It's important that you don't write down husbands are called to love their wives, but that they are specially called to love their wives. And we'll talk about that when we arrive at that point. Now, I've observed, this is just a a personal observation, in sermons like this, when um, a preacher goes to a text like Ephesians 5, and it's time to talk about husbands and loving their wives, there is this pressure, this tendency, uh, to really bring the heat and bring the guilt and to beat down on husbands and show them all the ways in which they're inadequate and try to get them to get their act together. Uh, Well, that's not uh, what I'd like to do this morning. I don't want to wield this text like a club, husbands, uh, with which to beat you down. 
Uh, but rather, I want to come alongside you as a fellow traveler, a husband myself, every day seeking to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and together to go to the Word of God and to find there what Christ's will is for our lives. And husbands, I'll just say, let's, let's practice what we've sung already in this service, what we've prayed in this service. Uh, if there's repentance that's needed, let's freely run to Christ and find full and free pardon uh, at the feet of the cross. And if there's change that's needed in our lives, let's again freely run to Christ and find in him the power to change through the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, all that we're interested in as husbands uh, ought to be being more and more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the spirit in which this sermon is offered. All right, so look with me first of all, first of the two points. Number one, this text calls us husbands to exercise and model Christ-like headship in the home. Look with me at verse 22, if you would. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So look up at verse 23. We see there this simple propositional statement that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, it's necessary, I think, that I do a little detox first uh, and say what this doesn't mean before uh, proposing a positive definition for male headship in the home. So husbands, and everyone here, it's very important that we understand where the imperatives lie in this text. You know what imperatives are, right? That's a command. Uh, that's that's a, a direct instruction from the Lord himself. It's an imperative. But we need to see in this text where the imperatives lie. Because some men read this text uh, that it says wives, the imperative to them is to submit. And for men, the imperative to them is to assert their headship and see to it that their wife submits. But that's not actually where the imperatives fall. The commands go like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands. What's the command to husbands? Love your wives. That's, that's the command. When it comes time to address husbands directly, the command is to love, to be tenderhearted, to nourish and to cherish, to lay down one's life. That's the focus when Paul wants to address these husbands. Uh, so brothers, when you hear this indicative statement, this propositional statement, the husband is the head of the wife, which is only given as a way of helping wives as they seek to understand their calling, uh, don't use that as an occasion to trump up your authority and get all excited that you can boss around your wife and all those sorts of things. Uh, rather, uh, this is a descriptive statement given to the wife to help her understand the way headship functions within a marriage. It's not given as an imperative. Now, don't get me wrong, there are tremendous practical implications for husbands in that indicative statement, the husband is the head of the wife. I'm not trying to explain those words away. The simple point I want to make and I want us to understand is that when it comes to imperatives, when it comes to moral, forceful injunctions from the Apostle Paul and from the Holy Spirit, the issue is loving our wives. It's not primarily assert your headship, be the man of the house, make sure everything falls into line. Husbands, you are heads of your home, but I want you to see the command here is to love. Okay, so that's the detox. Okay. Now I want to talk positively about what male headship in the home looks like, because we believe, according to this text, uh, the husband is the head of the wife. What does that mean when Paul describes male headship? 
And again, I see no need to reinvent the wheel. I find uh, Dr. Piper's definition, once again, to be profoundly helpful. He says this, so we defined submission last week, and now I wanna define headship using Piper's definition. He says this, quote, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Let me read that again. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. So in the, the next few moments, I just want to break down that definition sort of one phrase at a time so we could better understand the Bible's teaching on male headship. So first of all, this definition says headship is a divine calling. Headship is a divine calling. Husbands, your headship in the home is not understood to be optional. It doesn't come down to a vote. It's by divine calling, divine appointment. Brothers, you agreed before God to be the head of your home when you married your wife. God calls you to headship. Don't cower away from it. It is a divine calling from God himself. If you are married, you are the head of a family. But now the second thing to observe about the definition, it reads, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. I wanna seize on that phrase, primary responsibility. What is meant by that phrase? Well, it is not meant that it's somehow wrong for a wife to work or to play a part in the provision of the home. It's not wrong for a wife to play a part in protecting the home. Indeed, she may, and in some cases, she certainly should. But the issue here is who has primary responsibility for these things? And husband, that's you. If there's a breakdown in leadership or protection or provision, the buck stops with you. You are the one primarily responsible, answerable to God for the family. When someone comes knocking at your door and says, I'd like to speak to the man of the house, that's not some semblance of, of, of dictatorial authoritarianism or, 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 or oppressive male patriarchy. There's a biblical worldview underlying that statement. Let me speak to that man before God who bears primary responsibility for this house. You say, where do you get off saying a thing like that? Uh, when God comes to the garden in Genesis chapter three to call Adam and Eve to account for their sins, which by the way, Eve started, the Bible makes that plain, he says, Adam, where are you? He says, where is the man? Where is the one who takes primary responsibility for this first family? I don't need to hear who started it. I'm calling you to primary responsibility and accountability. Now that does not mean, I'm not saying at all, that wives are not responsible and accountable before God. They absolutely are. But in terms of the leadership, protection, and provision in the home, the affairs of the home, the managing of the home, the husband bears primary responsibility before the Lord. That is what male headship entails. God is going to come, brothers, and say, Adam, where are you? Husbands, where are you? Give an account for what takes place in this home. Third thing I'd like you to see about this definition. Uh, male headship is meant, Dr. Piper says, to be Christ-like in nature. Christ is the model. Who are we looking to to know how to be faithful heads of the home? It is Christ himself who is the head of the church. Now more on that in a minute. I'm gonna move past that pretty quick. We see next in the definition 
Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Leadership, protection, and provision. What is leadership? When God calls husbands to leadership as a function of their headship, Leadership involves setting the direction and vision for the home. Leadership involves a certain measure of decisiveness. Leadership initiates. Leadership involves courage. Leadership involves responsibility and accountability. Men, this is on you. If there is a vacuum of leadership in the home, you are responsible. So I encourage you brothers, don't shy away from this. Be leaders in your home. Be leaders in the family. It's a godly, good, and commendable thing, according to our text. Husbands are heads in the home, so assume leadership. There are all sorts of questions that confront every Christian family that have to be answered. You can't avoid them. What are we going to do with our money as a family? How will we spend our free time? How will we parent if God gives us children? How will we approach disciplining our children? What will we allow them to listen to? And what kind of movies will they be allowed to watch? What will we permit our daughters to wear? How are we going to speak to our kids about sexual matters? Husbands, lead out in these conversations. Assume your God-given leadership. Don't allow a vacuum of leadership to take place that forces your wife just to be clueless, waiting for you to take the initiative. And nor do you want to tempt her or cause her to feel temptation to fill that vacuum of leadership that male inaction has created. But rather, husbands, we are to initiate. We're to lead out. That's part of what it means to be a godly head of the home. And we have a wonderful model, don't we? When Christ took the initiative to save you, brother, while you were dead in your sins. Now model that kind of initiative and have the courage to initiate a conversation with your wife about finances or the children or how we're going to spend our time and resources as a family. The call to headship is a call to leadership in the home. But the second Uh, 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 function of headship is protection. The safety of your family, husband, is your prerogative. There's a noise downstairs in the basement. You're going down there. I'm not not silly, but but we know, right, that if uh, 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 we hear uh, something break downstairs, a broken window at one in the morning, if any husband rolled over to his wife and said, honey, there's something down there. Can you go check? We know intuitively that that man is a coward, right? Uh, Have you seen the movie uh, Titanic? I was sobered to realize that that came out over 20 years ago. Found that out this week, feeling very old. But if you've seen that movie or if you're familiar with the event, uh, the Titanic, the great ship that went down in those icy waters, the way the movie uh, depicts the sinking of the ship, there's a limited number of lifeboats And uh, what happens in the movie is a number of men seek to push past the women to get to the lifeboats first. And if I recall, I think that there's a captain on the ship that shoots a couple of them or fires warning shots in the air and has to chide them. Let the women go first, don't be cowards. Well, the New York Times reviewed the movie, the film, The Titanic, shortly thereafter. And, And the writer observes, by every eyewitness account, we know that that's not what happened. There was this spectacular display of male chivalry uh, on the Titanic where, um, first of all, almost all of the survivors were women, and all of the eyewitness testimonies are of these men who, in a chivalrous way, were even carrying women over to the boats and then stepping back, and they themselves drowning in those icy waters. And this reviewer in the New York Times asked the question, now why on earth would the filmmakers feel the need to so flagrantly revise history 
and to edit out that kind of chivalry. And then he answers his own question. He says, could it be that no one today, 100 years later, would believe that men would ever act that way? Now, God have mercy on us. Just 100 years later, that sort of chivalry is unthinkable. That's, that's, that's incredible. No one will believe that men would ever be so selfless and esteem and honor uh, the worth and dignity and value of a woman above their own worth and dignity and value. No one would esteem a woman higher than himself. Do you believe that protection is part of your calling, husbands? To give an account for making sure the family is safe and honoring your wife as the weaker vessel as the scriptures call us to do. Well, there's a third component to headship and that is provision, provision. Uh, headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision. Uh, husbands, whether or not the kids go hungry, will not ultimately fall on your wife. It is the consistent testimony of the Bible that men are to have the primary responsibility in the area of provision within the family. Now let me say, it's not wrong for wives to contribute to provision in the home. I think if we faithfully read Proverbs 31, it seems quite obvious that the Proverbs 31 woman is contributing in some way to the provision of the home. It's not even wrong necessarily for a wife if she's working to make more money than her husband. But the issue of whether or not the family is provided for, is safe, is taken care of, is ultimately the husbands. And of course, I can think of tons of examples uh, where this might break down. You imagine a godly, faithful husband who, in the providence of God, finds himself disabled, and his wife has to be the breadwinner in the home. That man should feel no shame over the condition providence has called him to, but nonetheless, he should feel an impulse in his own heart. But if things were different, if I wasn't laid low in this way, I would provide but by divine appointment, I am in the condition that I'm in, and therefore I cannot. There should be that impulse. And the final thing to note about this definition of headship is that it is Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. In the home. Husband, your headship does not extend outside of your home. Men are not called to exercise headship over women generally. But brothers, you are responsible for your home. Remember the words of Joshua. I'm paraphrasing, but he says more or less, I don't know what the rest of you all are doing. I can't speak for you, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A husband speaking for his home. He won't speak for others, but his headship, he recognizes his limits, but he asserts his headship in the context of his own home and speaks for his family. Well, that's something of male headship in the home responsibility and accountability before God are at the heart of this kind of headship. Now to the second point, which is really the main point. I won't spend as much time on it, but it, it's the main imperative in the passage. Husbands are specially called to love their wives. Husbands are specially called to love their wives. Please look on with me at the text, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Now I'm saying that in light of this text, husbands are specially called to love their wives. Now what do I mean when I say specially called? Well, 
for whatever reason, the Apostle Paul, when he comes to give instructions to wives, he tells them they need to recognize there's this call of God to submit to their husbands. When he comes to husbands, he talks about love. Does that mean that wives are not called to love their husbands? Of course they are. Of course they are. Husbands and wives are to love one another. That instruction is given to us in hosts of other texts in the scriptures. What I think Paul is doing is he's recognizing the weakness of men and the unique charge that has to be given to men, and he says, husband, see to it that you love your wife. He knows that men might be tempted to fail in this area. He says, you need to love your wife. You need to be tenderhearted with her. You need to nourish and cherish her. You need to lay down your life for her. Men naturally resist that sort of of function within the home. And so he says, husbands, love your wives. This is so specially important for you to understand. Beyond that, what part is the husband playing in the great drama of Christ and his church? He's responsible to model the love of Christ. It's so important, husbands, that you model this because there's, this, there's something bigger than your own marriage that's taking place. As people look on, they see modeled in your love, hopefully, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and his initiative toward his church. So husbands, we see, are specially called to love their wives. Now, Paul provides two images uh, by which husbands should measure their love for their wives. First of all, he says that husbands are told to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The emphasis, I believe, is on the giving up of himself. So we see that biblical headship in the home is not defined by heavy-handedness. It's not defined by trumping up one's authority. It's defined by giving up of oneself. It's defined by humility. It's defined by service and love and a willingness to lay down one's life. That is the distinctive of godly male love and leadership in the home. It's sacrificial, it's selfless. Love is at the heart of this image. That is the strength of male headship. It's the laying down of one's life for another. Brothers, Christ was said to be meek. And he himself said, blessed are the meek. Brothers, God calls you as leader in your home to be a meek man. If you are faithful to love your wife as Christ loved the church, you must lay down your life for her each and every day. You, you young men in the room, uh, high school students or younger, or even college students, and you're thinking about marriage. If, if, if other people have been too romantic and sentimental to tell you this, I'd like to clue you in now. If you wish to be married, it is a call every day to die to yourself. It's a call to die to yourself every day if you choose to be married. I know that it's hard to hear in the you complete me generation, okay? Not the most romantic idea. But aren't we called here in this text as Christ to lay down our lives? And listen, I'm not trying to paint an ugly picture of marriage for you. He who lays down his life, he who gives up his life will gain it. He will find it. He who loses his life will find it. There's a beautiful, glorious thing to be found in laying down your life for your bride. Marriage is a wonderful, godly, beautiful institution. And the greatest joys in my life, I'll just testify as a married man, have been found within marriage. But nonetheless, young men, marriage is a call to lay down your life for that woman, to give up of yourself for that woman, to die daily to your own impulses and desires in order to better honor and serve her. And it's a glorious thing, brothers. I commend it to you. 
in so doing, you are modeling uh, the work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and who in such a loving way laid down his life for us. Love is defined, brothers, by giving up of yourself. That is at the heart of this image of Christ laying down his life for the church. But then there's a second image that we're given that qualifies our love as husbands. Husbands are told to love their wives as their own bodies. So verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Paul tells husbands they should love their wives as their own bodies. No one ever hated his own flesh, he says, but nourishes and cherishes it. And so again, we see here, what is at the heart of godly headship? It is tenderness. It's gentleness. It's nourishing and cherishing as you would your own body. Paul is calling husbands to exercise a special degree of tenderness and gentleness toward their wives. And the logic is quite transparent. Husband, when you inflict pain or damage on your wife, it's like self-inflicted wounds. When a man seeks to crush his wife and grind her to powder every time she disappoints him, he's committing suicide, Paul is in effect saying. He's hurting only himself. Your wife, husband, is your own body. And who would ever inflict harm on his own body? In a beautiful way, Paul is appealing to the husband's self-interest. Don't you love yourself? Then love your wife. Don't don't impart pain to her and injury to her. Those are self-inflicted wounds. Don't you nourish and cherish your own body. Nourish and cherish her. We have rose bushes at my house doing some spring cleaning. I was out there clipping them a little earlier this week, and I wasn't paying attention, and I pulled my arm around, and a big, massive thorn caught me in the wrist. And what did I do? I didn't try to drive it in and press it in. I, I recoiled, I withdrew. I ran, and I got a bandage, and I nursed that wound, and I took care of it. I didn't want to be in pain. That would be irrational. Well, brothers, the same logic works. We don't use this language, but what was I doing in that moment? I was nourishing and cherishing my own body. I was taking gentle care of it. I didn't act in a rough way with that wound. I, you know, put some neosporin on it, put a Band-Aid on it, and took care of it. There was tenderness to that. Well, we're to exercise that same tenderness toward our wives, to nourish her, to cherish her. So, brothers, I'll ask you before the word of God, before this text, Are you pursuing tenderness and gentleness in your relationship with your wife? Do you nourish her and cherish her? Are you sensitive to her? Do you talk to her? Do you listen to her? As 1 Peter 3, 7 says, do you dwell with her in an understanding way, showing her honor? Godly headship, godly leadership, brothers, is not rough and abrasive. It's not defined by machismo and bravado and authoritarianism. It's defined by gentleness and tenderness and love that initiates and lays down one's life. And such leadership, men, lest you be mistaken, is strength. Listen, meek doesn't mean weak. Being a tender man, being a gentle man, being a self-controlled man, that requires strength. Flying off the handle when something disappoints you is weakness. Anybody can do that. A small little petulant child can do that. 
but men who know how to nourish and cherish their wives, therein lies their strength. Brothers, allow the Lord Jesus to define masculinity for you. Go to the Gospels and search out who Jesus is and how he defines masculinity. He lays down his life like a lamb, and he roars like a lion. He is a shepherd, a tender shepherd to his flock. And he is a strong and mighty warrior leading his people into battle. Men, we need to have such a a more uh, uh, defined and complex view of male headship. We're so one-dimensional in the way we think about this. Godly headship is complex. It's the man who knows how to exercise and assert that headship in the right context and to protect his family and provide for his family and lead his family and play the man. And it's also the man who knows how to come gently alongside his little child and to cradle that child in his arms and to speak sweetly to that child. It's the husband who knows how to encourage his wife, how to really listen to her, how to be tender with her. That is godly masculinity according to this text. Well, may God help us in these things. In closing, I have just two words of encouragement I'd like to share to all of us. Uh, But first of all, I want to address any men here who in light of this passage and any words I've conveyed today feel inadequate or discouraged. And I'm speaking as much to myself as any one of you. Coming before a text where you're told to model Christ can only cause you to have low thoughts of yourself, to feel inadequate, to feel discouraged. And my desire is to encourage you, brothers. I'm I'm, I'm acutely aware of the pain of looking at my own heart before the face of scripture and before the character of the Lord Jesus, it is crippling. I think it was uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson who said, offer a man to arise in me that the man I am may cease to be. Is that your heart coming before a text like this? The feeling that I'm not the man I ought to be. How can we feel otherwise when Christ is the standard? Well, brothers, I have two words of encouragement for you. First of all, If repentance is needed, if there has been failure and breakdown in your own leadership in your home, run to Christ. And the promise is you can freely find forgiveness there. To me, it's one of the most beautiful aspects of the gospel. You can always restart. You can always go back. You can always be revived. You can always be restored. You can always be forgiven. Run freely to Christ and he'll forgive you. It's his promise. If we say we're without sin, we're liars, the apostle John says. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So my brother, if you feel inadequate, discouraged, if you're convicted, go to Christ and find forgiveness. But a second word of encouragement. If you recognize there's been failure and you recognize there's need for change, go to Christ and find there in him and through him the power to change. You can find in Christ the power to change. You say, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, I am just like my father. I'm just like my grandfather. This is how we've always been. This is always how Deprimus have acted. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. You can change. Don't belittle the gospel by suggesting that change is impossible. Our sisters in their Bible study this week in Titus, I think they considered, uh, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, Titus 2, 11 through 14. What does the grace of God do there? It brings salvation and trains us to renounce ungodliness every wicked way. Two things the gospel does for you. It brings pardon and forgiveness, and in its wings are also the power to change. 
to renounce my failings, and to become more like the Lord Jesus. Husbands, go to Christ and find the power through him to change. Very practical start for you this week. Go to the Gospels. Read all four of them. You don't have to do it all in one day. Study Christ's masculinity, his love for his bride, his love for his people, and learn there to say, Lord, teach me. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the sort of leader that Christ was to his people. I want to be uh, uh, strong and bold. I want to be meek. I want to be gentle. I want to be tenderhearted toward my wife and toward my kids. Help me to be like the Lord Jesus. It's a good starting point. Go to the Gospels. But secondly and finally, and this is for husbands, it's for wives, it's for singles, it's for children. Let every imperfect husband and every imperfect man be a pointer to the one who is in every way at all times perfect. Wives, let your husband's imperfections, we'll call them his sins, his failings, let your husband's imperfections call you to place all your hope and trust and identity in Christ who never fails, who has no imperfections. Listen, sisters, your husband cannot be Christ to you. Don't put that pressure on him. He's not your savior. He's not your Messiah. You can't look for ultimate satisfaction. You can't bound up all your hope in a fallible man. And even when he fails you, I'm not saying it's wrong to be disappointed, but let it be a reminder to you, Christ never fails. My job is to encourage and help and bless this husband and to, to help him on the way to heaven. But nonetheless, even these ways that he's disappointed me, he's failed, even in this instance when he sinned against me, I can look and thank God that my identity is not in him. It is in Christ. All my hope is bound up in that one who is perfect, who never fails. And husbands, I encourage you, let your own imperfections point you to Jesus who is perfect. He's called the author and perfecter of our faith. I fail, but he doesn't. I screw things up, but he does not. I make a mess, and he always comes behind me and cleans it up and cleanses me of every stain of sin. Though my sins are as scarlet, he will make me as white as snow. Let your own sins point you to the one who is sinless and perfect. And all of you, even little children who look on imperfect men and imperfect husbands, recognize at best we're mere reflections of that one who never fails. Listen, no one here should get a chip on their shoulder because they've seen hypocrisy in a father or in a husband or in some man in the church or some man in society. Go to Christ. I assure you, you will find in him no imperfection. You will find in him everything wonderful, everything beautiful. You'll find in him everything that your dad could not be, everything that your husband could not be, everything that that really rotten guy down the road could not be. Christ is in every way perfect, and he calls you to faith in him, repentance of your sins, and believing and trusting in that one who can never fail. And you can rest your entire hope, all your identity, in that one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, may God help us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that husbands and wives here would be helped and encouraged by your word. May each one be found faithful. May each one be found resting in Christ, looking to him for the strength to heed the callings that you've given to each of us. Pray for every Christian here 
to prize and to treasure, to put their faith in that one who is in every way perfect, who never fails. We thank you that it is so. Bless us now as we sing and as we come before the Lord's table to partake. We pray your blessing in Christ's name, amen.